Uh, welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode 13. <coughs> right, well, here we are, back again. We're back again, we're sort of a week late, aren't we? Are, we? That, that was my fault, I've been just busy with work. That's okay, there's no hard and fast rule, is there, really? No, but it's nice so, to be back. Nice to be back, and today we are talking about tea yeah a bit like the coffee episode if i'm honest i only wanted to do this episode so that i could call it sustainability yeah that is the only reason you that's wanted to do it. pretty much the driving force behind and, this and, and i think that's good enough reason yeah. don't you? how long did it take you to think of that one up quite quickly actually yeah and then you went oh yeah let's talk yeah. about tea that was the, that was the, what made it the winner for what we were going to do this week so no, I just but it's an interesting article because uh, you know we all drink tea don't we yeah um, mind you you didn't until much later in your life until you grew up yeah, yeah, quite. I started drinking coffee a lot. Well, it's actually only in uni, and then it's, it's been like the last year I've been drinking tea. Yeah, Not and, even it's, that. It's, and it's funny because I, as a kid, I drank tea quite early when I was seven or eight. Cause my dad drank tea all the time. I always like hot chocolate. So I drank tea quite early, and I didn't get into coffee until I was a bit older. I I got into coffee because a friend took me for one before an exam, and that was the start of my coffee. Funnily enough, Were you a bit hyper. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, for tea, I make so much tea for my partner. Um, when I was working at home, yes, Louise, I, you know who you are. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I went to make myself a herbal tea because I like like peppermint tea quite a lot, and just like muscle memory kicked in, and I made a cup of tea, and I didn't want to waste it, so I was like. I'll just drink it. And it was all right. I must and, admit, I nearly fell off my chair when you finally came yeah. in and went, I drink tea now. And it, I just thought, you know what, that wasn't too bad. Maybe I'll make another one because it's got a bit of caffeine in it. And and there we go. Yeah. I now quite like it. But it was only because I'm so used to making a cup of tea for, for Louise that yeah. I just did it on autopilot. So anyway, we're talking about tea. And as ever, it's things about, you know, the sustainability. Yeah. The are there cli- any issues with it? What the effect they? on the climate, all of those things. And how we can all have slightly more sustainable tea Yeah, habits. so it's a bit like our coffee uh, episode. Um, but beyond the environmental stuff, it was just quite interesting to yeah. learn about tea. We all, it's a very common product, yeah. and I didn't really know too much about Anyway, you do know history. that we haven't done the catch-up first. Oh, yeah. Do you have any? Uh, I have uh, my only little catch-up, because the weather's been so awful. It's been really, cold and wet. Yeah, and... it's really... Um, stunted my bird photography it really has over the last week or so but i did manage on one day that we had some half decent weather discovered a nice little uh, nature reserve that's local to me it's you not an rspb sent site. me some nice grebe photos yeah um a little one called warnham nature reserve up near horsham um and that was nice to go around and there was uh it's always nice to go around somewhere Different. They had little woodland area, and I think it's the closest ever that I've got to a bullfinch, which oh, just yeah, sort of sat me those as well. Just sort you? of flew and posed for me about it was a very you know, bright ten feet chest. Away. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And yes, we saw grebes, and I'd gone up. I got to be honest, I went there because uh, people had seen or been posting pictures of bramblings and siskins, and they're on my list of birds that I haven't seen or photographed. So oh, I okay. went up, uh, trying to see. <laughs> Trying to see a brambling specifically, and um, uh, your mum thought she'd seen one through the binoculars, but I never got one in my viewfinder. So, uh, but it was lovely. We we saw great crested grebes and herons and all sorts, and it was it was fun. But that's nice. about all I got. Well, I never have a lot of catch up, but I did go up to Kent uh, to an RSPB reserve called Cliff Pools, and I was in the grounds, but I wasn't like walking around and that was a bit of a schlep for you it was it? it was a schlep yeah. um and <laughs> it wasn't 
I wasn't wandering around the nature stuff. I didn't actually get to see a lot of, of the reserve itself, but I was up there for a litter pick um, yeah. with the Rivers Trust um, on preventing plastic pollution project, which was very cool. It was a bit disheartening. I don't think I've ever seen quite such a density of microplastics on a British anywhere. Like It was just the banks of the Thames, essentially, and it was horrendous. It was also heartwarming because, you know, there was 23 people who came along, including some young people as well. I sound quite old saying that, don't I? But like 15-year-old. And we collected a lot, a lot of litter. You, and it's s- nice you to sent see. me the picture and it, and it was uh, it was horrific. Yeah, and obviously yeah, I the... think it was pretty much a skip full of rubbish, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that was collected in like two hours. Yeah. Um, and it was done to the backdrop of a big industrial yeah. port, obviously. But the interesting thing, which I didn't know, we found a lot of these little plastic sticks and they look like lollipop sticks. Right. But they're not. They're the plastic sticks of cotton earbuds. Really? And you could, if you knelt down at any point, you could have spent an hour there and you wouldn't have collected all of them. They were just everywhere. I've got a picture of one of my co-workers' hands just, just full of them. I've come from where? Just, well, it's, it, apparently. So that's gone down, I guess, gone toilets. down the toilet yeah. and then the water companies have yeah. just dumped it into the river. And it's interesting because the colour of the um, plastic stick changes depending on... Uh, sort of the era like pre-1960s or something they used to be pink and then they end up being blue and you still find pink ones so you know that these are yeah. like f- from 50 60 years ago and they're still there wow um so that was an eye opener along with all the other culprits but so it was a i've never seen quite such a scale of microplastics on a uk stretch of land but um it's also nice to see the 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 litter picking group up there are there it was like their 10th time they filled something like nine skips over the last couple of years wow. and so there are people out there obviously as always working very hard and the rspb let them on the land to, to go and go and do it but um it was interesting yeah there is always isn't there as much as you know these people littering the countryside and the rivers and the and the you know the beaches that there are always people out yeah, there these are pe- cleaning up after those but the, these are people who have given up know, their saturday afternoon irresponsible people um, to go and do it like I say it's nice to see you know there was a 15 year old come along on a Saturday afternoon just to help out so it's always it's definitely the age group that we need to highlight the problem to because they're the ones that are going to save the planet aren't they ultimately it was positive and negatives but it was quite I've never really been to that part of the country um the weather was pretty grim, so wildlife-wise, we saw some oyster catchers, yeah, and nice and stuff like that. But it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, that's my catch-up. Really. Yeah, well, that's a good catch-up. Yeah. That was a good thing to do. But other than that, I guess we'll go straight into. We'll tea. crack on into tea. In fact, I wish I'd had a cup now, but yeah. um, there you go. Well, otherwise, people would have to listen to that. Us was slurp. a schoolboy era, wasn't it? I yeah. should have had a cup of tea. <laughs> um, I guess we'll kick it off with just an introduction to. What, what tea, tea is? is. Oh, <laughs> Do you want to start? No, you can kick it off, I reckon. You've been drinking it longer. Yeah. Well, I mean, tea ultimately is a, comes from a plant, and all tea comes from the same plant, um, and it's called a Camellia sinensis. So it's the leaves of a Camellia, which actually is a, a, um, in the same family as the you know the nice colourful Camellias that you have in your garden. Yeah, it's a shrub. Isn't it is it? a shrub. So. Um, it's grown uh, on subtropical uh, environments, but it's all grown all around the world. But ultimately, it was grown in China and yeah, I think India, I think East those. Asia, yeah, and yeah, China and northern. Is it yeah. still called Myanmar? Was that? Oh, I don't know. I feel like the name of I might got have got that wrong. Oh, I'm not um, sure. Anyway, it's a plant that grows best in uh, at high altitudes and subtropical climates, um, and 
tea derives from the leaves of that plant. Yeah, and I think the interesting is that we often see, I've already mentioned it, obviously herbal teas yeah. are not tea. No, that's uh, not from that same no, plant. No, people, I think, often try and change it to um, something like a herbal infusion or something like that because it's to, to be classed as tea... It has to come from Camellia yes. sinensis and yeah. peppermint, obviously. Is it sinensis doesn't... or sinensis? I don't, I don't know. I, often with these things, it's hard to say. I would say sinensis. I think I'd say sinensis, but probably it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. No. Um, so, yeah, the, the things like chamomile and, and stuff like that aren't technically teas, um, but obviously are just other infusions of leaves. Yeah. I've got that it, it dates back to the 3rd century. I've got that as well. Um, I've got some interesting facts about tea. Shall we do a few? Yeah, do a few. Um, yes, it was first used by the Chinese actually as a medicinal drink I've got um, going back to about the 3rd century. Um, and interestingly, I did find this bit interesting as someone who loves plants and knows the, you know, the fragility of plants. They'll grow and die and you'll replace them. Um, Maybe not so much with trees. Trees are, are, are long-living things. But apparently the plant can live for more than 100 years. And there are plants on in southern China that are more than 2,000 years old. Oh, that is incredible. Apparently. I haven't actually got that for yeah. that. Is, so, that's very cool. And they are still flowering and, yeah, they, they are very long-lived plant, which I found quite fascinating. I didn't think any plant lived that long in this day. Yeah, you age. always think of it as being big trees. You always think of it as the trees, that, yeah. So, um, I've got the uh, the interesting legend of how tea was discovered. Oh, go on. Apparently, in the year 2732 BC... That's very specific. Emperor Shen Nung discovered tea when leaves from the shrub blew into his pot of boiling water. <laughs> is that, I wonder how true that, that actually is. That is the legend of how I tea was discovered. I guess discovered. it's got to have been discovered somehow. He was sat there boiling some water, some leaves blew in and he drank it and he, he must thought, have just been like, oh, I like that. Tell you what, that's, that's, that's not bad, that. And that apparently is the origin of drinking Yeah, although tea. I guess if you look at how we, or how tea is actually produced, there are... A, a certain process to get yeah, to that, that tea flavour. The start of it. It's got to start somewhere, yeah. hasn't it? So, um, and I like that one. I thought that was quite yeah, cool. That's good. I also didn't realise that we've already mentioned that all the different types of tea come from the same plant, and when it, we've obviously separated the herbal ones, but things like black, oolong, yeah. and green and white do all come from the same plant. Yeah. They're just processed slightly. Yes, different. and like matcha is another one. Yeah, which again, is, and it's processed in a different way. I've got some information, which is about interesting because you'd done. always think that a green tea was maybe a bit more like herbal tea. It's come from a different plant, but it's no, it's, no, just, it's just the way it's processed, yeah, which yeah. I thought was quite quite interesting. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I've got here. Do you know what country is the largest consumer of tea? See, I, I, British obviously have a famed love of tea, but population-wise, I would probably put maybe India. Well, I was really surprised at this, and people, people can shoot me down if this isn't correct, but I've read it in a, a number of places now. That apparently, Ireland drink the most really? amount of tea per capita, per person. Oh, okay, not volume. Not volume, but they drink, on average, six cups of tea a day, apparently. Oh, that is interesting. I so I've got here that Ireland was first, then the UK, and then Russia. Oh, okay, enough. I but, think if you had said per capita, I would have said the UK. I think I was going on volume, Yeah, which yeah. I don't think there was enough people on... Well, just out of it, out of giving it some kind of uh, um, 
quantifiable thing that people could identify with is in the UK we drink 165 million cups a day. Yeah, I've got day. about 100 million cups <laughs> per day. Well, I've got 165 million cups yeah. a day in the UK. And apparently. I've got every day 3 billion cups of tea drunk around the yeah. world, second only yeah. to so water. It is the second most drunk. Yeah. Um, uh, most drunk Which is drink fun because obviously coffee the was the, after water. Se- coffee was the second most heavily traded commodity. Yeah. And tea is the second most consumed liquid, yeah. non-alcoholic liquid. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got an interesting record that I want to see if you can guess. So this is from 2014. Somebody set the world record for the largest tea bag ever made. This is in the Guinness Book of World Records. Are we talking weight? Give, uh, I want weight in kilograms. Yeah, let's go for the weight. Well, <laughs> I haven't got a very good record of guessing well, the weight of is, things. It apparently could have been used to brew over 100,000 cups of tea. So in kilograms, I think it's going to be... Obviously, it's going to be very large if it's going to... You can do it in a number of curlews if you want. <laughs> no, I can't calculate that. I think it's going to be... less in kilograms. I think it's going to be... <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I'm going to say a hundred kilo, kilograms. Two hundred and fifty. Oh, I wasn't too bad. bad. Apparently, five hundred. I nearly said two hundred, and then I thought I'm going to be a right idiot if I say two hundred. No, two fifty kilograms are measured nine point eight feet wide by thirteen feet high. Who the hell made it? Um, I've got the name Ah Ahmed Mohammed Salabation and Co. Owner of Rabay Tea in Saudi Arabia set this record in 2014. Wow. And did they put it in a... Actually, that was a tea bag, was it? Yeah, apparently so. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just thought was quite fun. Well, actually, that's probably a lot of plastic because tea bags are made out of plastic, which we'll come on to a bit later on. But, um, okay, any other facts? Do you know what... You know, there's that funky thing about reading your your um, future in the, oh, the tea leaves, leaves of tea. Yeah. Do you know what that's called? No, I did read it. Ah. I didn't write it down. It's called... The art of reading tea leaves apparently is called tassiography. Oh, I was going to say tassimology. Tassiography. Apparently you can predict somebody's yeah. future by reading tea leaves. Still Who's quite to cool. say whether that's yeah. true or not? And um, what else have I got? Uh... Don't think I've got much else. I've only got that from... it became very fashionable in England during the 17th yeah. century when we started um, growing it on a large scale in British India. So, it, although yes. it was discovered sort of back in the third century, it was the 17th century where England started growing it a lot in, uh, yeah, in their empire. I've got actually a, a little fact about a very famous uh, ship called a Clipper, I believe, um, called the Cutty Sark, which I think is um, moored somewhere still on. Uh, maybe Greenwich, somewhere up there, the original old ship from the 1800s, and it could carry 10,000 chests of tea on one cargo run, which was enough to make 200 million cups of tea. Oh, interesting, because it used to be mainly for the upper society. Yeah, it was for the aristocracy, I think, because it was very expensive back in the day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um, It's getting more and more expensive now, I will hasten to add um i think that's it for yeah my i think facts. that'll probably do we can move into the environmental side yeah. of tea um so compared you to mean s- the sustainability the sustainability compared to something like coffee the pro is not particularly heavily processed it is part it's essentially dried leaves so the number of steps makes it slightly more eco-friendly than a lot of other commodities yeah. and also as it uses you, about a fifth of the water yeah. that coffee yeah, obviously coffee is very water-intensive, yeah. as we covered. And like you said, the plant is very long-lived. And unlike a lot of um, 
plants that we harvest you don't have to pull it all up you only have to take sort of the top leaves yeah. and so in that sense you're not having to uh, dig them all up and replant them every year so again in that sense the environmental impact of tea is comparatively lower to other plants the problems come in because as we've said it's the second most consumed drink in the yeah, world so the demand for and so it. wherever you have a large uh, demand and therefore a huge amount of land is required to grow yeah. uh, tea and therefore you have a large monocultural crop yeah you're always going to have issues that, that is the problem is that the land clearance and deforestation a bit like we discussed with coffee is that vast amounts of land are being cleared forests are being yeah cleared and of course it is a monoculture yeah so. anywhere you're growing one thing to meet a large demand yeah. i've also i've got according to an article from the guardian um the carbon footprint of a cup of black tea is about 21 grams of carbon dioxide when you boil only the water that you actually need you're not boiling that goes up to 71 grams if you uh double the water you need to people who are not yeah. very efficient with their kettle usage. Actually, I, I did read that the energy required to boil the tea uses as much energy as it takes to manufacture and deliver the tea. Yeah. So it is a lot of the lot of the bad stuff is you boiling yeah. the kettle. Yeah, that is that. However, I also did read that, of course, in the process of manufacturing tea, they have to dry the leaves yes. and fossil fuels are used, obviously, for... For, for heating and drying yeah. the, the leaves. So. so before we get on to all the drying stuff, when it comes to just the planting, yeah. we've mentioned the land use and yeah. deforestation. I just, before we moved on, had a couple of facts. So apparently in northeast India, uh, areas which have ended up being used for tea, used... <coughs> I'll start that bit again and then we can cut it. So in northeast India, areas which used to be sort of forest and grassland and therefore quite important habitat for things like tigers and rhino have now been covered in tea plantations. Yeah. Same as in East Africa, forests have been cleared to make new plantations. And apparently earlier this year, and I actually think that was 2021, the article that I took, so not 2023, uh, an area of Ethiopian rainforest was sold to grow tea, despite quite a lot of opposition from the president yes, and I didn't read like about that. that. So they've called it land grabbing, and yeah. yeah, and so this this sort of land use or change in land use has been associated with the decline of um, lion-tailed macaque in India, as well as the Horton plain slender loris in uh, Sri Lanka, and these are both species that are on our IUCN yeah. red list. So it's not a a small issue when it comes to, to tea. That well, actually, it's probably one of the, the large problems. Is the uh, same with coffee and all these large demands for uh, a certain crop is the clearing of yeah. precious habitat to then plant a much less biodiverse yeah that, um, that's the problem ecosystem. is it's the biodiversity that it destroys because and the other thing with a monoculture is that it it attracts pests um on a large scale yeah, which um, then leads to a lot of pesticide use then leads to the use of a huge amount of pesticides and we we know what the obviously the issues yeah, are. Yeah, and, and around quickly, that. if you hadn't heard the coffee one, beyond the obvious uh, problems with fertilizer and pesticides, and obviously the human health implications as well of those having to apply it, is it impacts soil quality, yeah. increases erosion, and obviously when it rains, those chemicals are washed into Run local yeah. water sources, which yeah. uh, can cause algal blooms or just essentially change like the pH yeah. and, and damage the wildlife. I did read an interesting thing actually leading on from that pesticide issue is that 
more and more use of pesticides has come into being in the manufacturing and processing of tea. And actually, Sri Lanka, which used to be called Ceylon, in fact, Ceylon tea was very famous. It's now called Sri Lanka. Um, they're now struggling quite a lot with their profitability because a lot of and it, this happened recently, um, that a lot of countries were declining to take tea from Sri Lanka because of the various standards around. Yeah, we all um, look for certifications. Because it was found and... to be having a huge uh, chemical content which can only have come from pesticides. Yeah, and fertilisers And fertilisers. Well, yeah, and soil quality, so you've got to boost it up with So large um, shipments of uh, Sri Lankan tea were actually declined by various countries, and it oh, had a huge impact on their tea export, export yeah. uh, business. So, uh, And, of course, the other thing with that is it's sort of tainted Sri Lankan tea with that yeah it's got um, a bit of reputation reputation so now I, I'm, I'm sure they've addressed that but it was an interesting thing just a little article that i wrote i think it was written by i could be wrong here i think it was an oxford um uh paper that was written about it i, I could be wrong about that um but it was quite interesting that it all related yeah. to the overuse of pesticides and fertilisers uh, in manufacturing tea well that is interesting mm. yeah, it does and that does quite sort a... of highlight the issues that we're talking about here is that that demand has led to more and more intensive farming to try yeah. and get the crop more and more crops so more and more fertilizers are used so it's just this ongoing cycle yeah and it is hard to do anything to meet a, a demand a worldwide demand yeah. sustainably because yeah. yes you, of course yeah it's just going to be at a price that people will be willing yeah willing and, to pay and you can't sympathize with the companies but you can to a certain extent you can because like all with like the workers and stuff yes and exactly like and like that. all businesses and companies they have to make money yeah. and the demand for that product when it escalates and obviously, we're not touching on it today because we're very much a, an environmental podcast but there are a variety of human rights issues around the workers on yeah, tea plantations so. and things yeah, like that so, so we won't touch that's on that not today. our focus but we are very aware yeah. that there are a lot of human rights issues around tea as well as the environmental yeah. ones and actually uh, that that also relates to this land grabbing there's a yeah. lot of land grabbing going on in uh, the countries like Kenya and places like that, that Ethiopia, Ethiopia that yeah. are, are growing tea, and there's a lot of land grabbing by large corporations who see the potential investment and profitability in tea. But what that has a massive effect on the local people and the local workforce. Yeah. So, but you also have to think like when we talk about flooding and drought, and and a lot of these areas are very prone to both. Yeah. As we've again, we've, we've mentioned it in previous podcasts because all these things sort of relate. Trees are incredible for climate resilience. Not only do they keep an area cool, that's why there's a, a real push to plant trees in cities because yeah. cities get hot, but they also provide flood defense, which is why we plant trees alongside rivers and things like that. And you, you clear trees to plant uh, tea. And so suddenly you're removing something that is so vital for the local area protection. Yeah from drought from flooding from just climate change in general and you're removing that so it then impacts the whole local yeah. area from just the concern of being able to deal with natural uh, yeah uh, climate variations but interesting like the that. same thing applies to when we were talking about coffee and shade grown coffee yeah. plants it's exactly the, the same. value of having trees it's exactly the same with tea and in fact the benefits are often that shade grown coffee and tea taste better but also it creates 
a biodiverse environment which is actually beneficial to the growing of tea yeah. plants it's because like, it, it it creates natural predators yeah, for nice the pests. functioning ecosystem. You don't have to use so much pesticide. You've got the um, the leaf litter and stuff coming off the trees, which creates a natural fertilizer. All of those things, and the same thing that applies to the to the growing and yeah. manufacturing of tea that it does to coffee. Uh, and However, to meet the demand, we're clearing land. We're thinking that we can grow it quicker and yeah. all of those things. So it, it's a very similar story. Yeah, in I some think respect, it, it, it will always it? be when it's a a plant based yeah. demand when you're just yeah. needing to grow one crop on mass. Yeah. It's always going to be well we'll have to clear the land. It also it always else. really whenever I do these and I read about the deforestation I think that it's always that shocking, isn't it? Shocks me and saddens me more than anything else because a lot of it is tropical rainforests and I said we all we all know tropical the benefit of tropical rainforests and just how biodiverse they are and we are just but it's just it's, chopping it's, them it's, down. It is an interesting link, though, because we always look at things like, oh, we want to protect the rhinos and the tigers. And it's perhaps on the face of it, you think it's a bit of a leap to think, oh, the fact that the world loves drinking tea could be responsible for some of the rhinos and the tigers' yeah. uh, decline. And so it's it's a weird thing to link the the fact that we yeah. all like a cup of tea in the morning, but the actual down the chain that could potentially impact the animals that we're all very passionate about saving. And so it's an interesting link to just the normal everyday habits of the whole world rather than just the everything has industry. a little ripple effect, yeah. doesn't it? And so it's I think it's always valuable to learn these things just because people are still going to drink tea but but and we'll get on to it at the end like we always do. The 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 choices you make and stuff is is it's nice and not nice to know the individual impact of our own actions because it's nice because it's something we can change, yeah. but it's also uh, daunting to know how much of an impact every individual on the planet can have down the line. Yeah. Um, so I guess it depends whether you want to go cup half full or empty and think, well, at least I can make a difference or look at it from the more negative yeah. spin. But it's an important thing to and highlight. I think, it, I think you know, there's, I've learned a huge amount about tea and tea um, growing and, yeah. and and the impact of growing tea, etc., by doing this little podcast. And so, so it's a good thing. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned earlier that tea leaves are dried. Yeah, and this is probably combined with the land use, one of the more damaging parts of the process. So, essentially, um, they're not air dried; they're dried through heating. Yeah, and that is normally done using fuel, either wood or gas. Um, now, I've got the little process as withering, rolling, fermentation, and drying. Yes. Yeah, so they're withered and then they're rolled, and then yeah. yeah. So withering is just they're left to die. The leaves yeah. are taken off, and they the so withering is where they wither over a period of eighteen to twenty hours. They they die down. They wither. Yeah. They rot, then they curl up. Anyway, carry on. Yes, and and <laughs> so then I wanted to get in withering, withering, rolling, fermentation, and drying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> To be fair, I hadn't got the. I had withering and rolling. I hadn't actually noticed down the fermentation ah. side of things. I'll, well, I'll I'll do that bit, shall I? Yeah, you okay. can do that bit. You want to do it now? <clears throat> Where have you got to? Well, I was just going to talk about the impact of the drying. Oh no! You, oh yeah, because drying's the sort of last bit, isn't uh, it? Yeah. So yes, the withering is the dying down of the leaves. The rolling, then it's it's rolled to activate the juices and stuff in the in the yeah. in the leaves themselves, and then the fermentation is that they are spread out over perforated tables, and. Um, under controlled temperature and humidity to ferment over yeah. a period of time and then they're dried. Hmm. So I, I read the word, I hadn't looked yeah. into the actual science. Yeah, and the, that fermentation is that sort of bringing out, out the 
chemicals yeah. in the leaves, the, oxi- the oxidants and all of that, and creating that flavor profile unique flavor profile of whatever particular plant yeah. is, is being uh, processed. So It's a bit like, it always amazes me with whiskey, how much of the flavor profile can come from which barrel you store yeah. it in. It's always amazing that you can take one plant and ferment it or yeah. wither it or dry it slightly different and you go from a matcha to a black English Absolutely. breakfast. and that's it's what we said incredible. earlier. You can go from a green to a black yeah. to a and oolong. I always find it fascinating who thought, like, at yeah. what point did people start experimenting to yeah. discover all the things. Well, maybe, again, that happened accidentally. Yeah, possibly. But yeah, anyway. But, but yes, anyway, they, they are dried and normally through wood or gas as a fuel. Um, there are areas that grow, they say grow wood, but grow trees specifically for that purpose but the problem is, is in other areas, they will just go and harvest the wood from a forest. So yeah. you have some that sort of have a, an area where they grow wood for the drying and you have others that will just use the local forest, which is obviously much worse. Uh, according to the WWF in Sri Lanka, it takes about 1.5 to 2 kilograms of wood to produce one kilogram of tea. Um, and I'll get towards in the end, there are variety of ways of people trying to make that more sustainable but that's quite a lot of wood yeah you know, it's, it's a yeah. more than a one-to-one conversion so you need more yeah. wood to produce less tea and if you are just chopping down trees for that that's obviously on top of clearing the land anyway so you can see how the forest could begin to disappear uh have you got anything else you'd like to touch on drying well, yes the drying what the drying does i've got here is it caramelizes the sugars in the leaf um adding flavors to the finished product and imparts the black colour associated with tea. That's what the oh, okay. does. So it brings out the sugars in the... Because we, as we know, all plants have got sugars yeah. in them. Um, and, and it caramelises those sugars, which is why the leaves go black. And it's quite a sweet drink, to be fair. Yes. So um, that's all I've got on drying. Okay. Well, it's, you're coming with a nice like tea process fact. So yeah. I've got the, the environmental side of it. What a team. Yeah. What a tea. <laughs> mm. ah, that's terrible, like what wasn't you it? did there. Um, <laughs> So beyond the... Don't do stand-up, will you? No, I'll do sit-down. Um, <laughs> beyond the production of the tea itself, there there are also issues, and we've touched on this slightly earlier, with, with the packaging. Um, so there is actually a surprising amount of plastic in tea bags. Um, yeah, uh, microplastics. Yeah, just just plastics in general, which then obviously become more microplastics yeah. as, they, as they break down. I've got researchers from McGill University found that one cup from a single tea bag could contain 11.6 billion microplastics and 3.1 billion nanoplastic particles wow. in a single from a single tea bag so obviously not only is that bad from a human point of view because a lot of research has shown that our blood and breast milk now contains microplastics same as PFAS you which, think how many cups of tea we have yeah. in a week but then also if you think of how much tea and tea bags go down the drain yeah. and then tea bags go into landfill and so you can see how... Do people put tea bags down the drain? No, as in tea goes down oh, the drain. Oh, tea goes people down the drain, People pour yes. down yeah, yeah, yeah. the dregs and, yeah. and, and empty the teapot and stuff. So all of that yeah. nano and microplastic ends up in the waterways and landfills and wildlife, which I'm sure we'll do a whole episode on microplastics. Yeah. And I'd quite like to do an episode on PFAS as well at some point. Um, but people... And again, what I can touch on this when, when we get into the things you can do. People always think, oh, tea bags are biodegradable. I'll put them in my food waste. Unless they are specific tea bags, a lot of them aren't, and it's just plastic, and then you've just got plastic leaching into the environment from a tea bag, which I think lots of people aren't necessarily aware of how much plastic. No, is I must in admit, I, I did know that um, tea bags contain plastic because I think you might have told me a yeah. few months ago. <laughs> um, and then 
with that, that packaging, you've also got the packaging that the tea comes in, yeah. uh, whether or not it's going to be recyclable or whether it's going to be plastic. Um, and then you've also got the transportation, just the air miles yeah. and, the, and the sea miles and, and, and just all the waste that come from producing anything, whether it's the factories, the, the transportation, producing the plastic to package the yeah. tea bags and things like that. But also, there's nothing we can do about the transportation because we can't grow tea in this no, country. Exactly. So. But there's also, if you think tea bags contain string, adhesive, all sorts of things that have to be produced also adds on to the environmental footprint yeah. of a tea bag. Um, but unless you have anything else you'd like to touch on, I'm more than happy to move on to how we can make our tea more sustainable. No, I think we should move on to that because, um, I mean, I could talk quite a lot about how the and I found it quite fascinating the difference uh, the different processes to make green tea and matcha and oolong but yeah we won't go into that that, that we've touched on the fact that different processing different drying times different some are fermented some aren't green tea is unfermented for example oh, okay um, and the fresh leaves are just steam blasted so um, uh, and then matcha is powdered and, and matcha is powdered from very young shoots uh, because premium grade and, powdered matches is ex- really expensive and it expensive. makes it really expensive because it's actually it's full of antioxidants uh, it's powdered and... in a stone mill a bit like flour I oh, guess. so cool. yeah so that's because how... i know obviously it's often and people can't see me doing like air quotes called like a superfood because it's antioxidant yeah. rich it's caffeine yeah, rich it's got all sorts of great lots of people love matcha yeah. as a health food and actually um it's the buds of the three top layers of young plants are harvested for matcha and then the leaves are steamed uh, to halt the oxidation process and then ground in stone mills mm, that's really cool uh, the production process is why it's one of the most expensive teas on the yeah, market because, because you get the it little, takes a lot of process you get the little metal tins of it yeah and they're like 30 quid or yeah, something it's very expensive um, um so no we can carry go, go on to right, the so to the yeah we've bit. covered the bad side of tea land used issues, pesticides, fossil fuel use for drying, as well as the plastic in the packaging. So what can we do to try and make our tea habits slightly more sustainable? One of the easiest, and I say easiest as far as availability, I know some people find it perhaps more of a faff to make, but loose leaf tea. Yes, loose leaf tea is the biggest thing you can do. Reduces carbon footprint quite significantly significantly because no tea bags no plastics needed to be produced no adhesive no string uh you can get a a bigger tub of loose leaf rather than having to have a box of tea bags like space space efficiency all sorts of things like that actually reduces the footprint of your cup of tea quite a lot um so loose leaf tea is a very simple yeah an efficient way yeah. to be slightly more and you can also compost it it's a very good yeah. thing for compost straight into food waste yeah. or your home yeah. compost bin if you, if you have one yeah um some people will also argue that loose leaf tea tastes a lot better yeah i know some people don't like making it i recently bought some not tea herbal tea um loose leaf uh gingerbread chai and it was a lovely it yeah was, it was i think it's it's a little bit more labor intensive to make yeah. and I th- only from the point of view of clearing up afterwards but it's, it's interesting though because neither of us and I, I can't speak for the public but for for us two we are more than happy to go through the more labor intensive coffee because we use yeah. beans yeah we grind, so we have to them. grind it yeah. all up and then you have to clean out the coffee machine yeah. rather than just taking hot water on instant yeah. but loose leaf tea seems to be slightly yeah. more no, that is one of the. That is definitely one of the the, the major things that, that people can do is to switch to loose leaf tea. The other thing to do, 
is look for, and again, we touched on this in the coffee episode, but look for certain certifications, certain certifications, Um, things like the Rainforest Alliance and the FSC Council have, um, and the other one is... Is that the Fair Trade one? Yeah, Fair Trade is a different one. The FSC is um, Field Studies Council, I think. And the other one is the Soil Association. But if you look for those on packet of tea, they are normally coming from uh, a plantation that has a certain number of standards of land use, pesticide, a lot of them. And again, organic is a term that is often uh, that doesn't carry as much weight as perhaps people like to think it does. But it, it does normally mean that pesticide use is at least a lot lower yeah. and things like that. I so, wonder if those certifications are on tea bag tea that are... They're normally on the yeah on back the bo- of, on, on the, the boxes, boxes. Yeah. so you can still even if you're buying tea bags you yes. can still find those certifications yeah because these are normally because obviously the loose leaf tea benefit is mainly between around reducing the packaging yeah the rainforest alliance and all those certifications are around how it's grown yeah and so whether or not that's in a tea bag or loose leaf it's still yeah. important but, so so there's nothing in as far as environmental and plastic tea bags is. Well, I was going to say, you can look for plastic-free tea bags, yeah. and there's, oh, a, okay. there's a much, um, it's become quite, well, I was going to say, much like more prominent or a bigger push for more tea bags to become plastic-free. And a lot of like the, the bigger companies will advertise on the box or on their website that yeah. they use plastic-free tea bags. I think, well, funnily enough, often tea bags aren't white, and they will be bleached, because people want a white tea bag for some reason. If you buy a more natural tea bag, sometimes they're sort of brown or yellow and people for some reason have an issue with that but if you there's no difference to it that's just how it would naturally look funny um, that isn't it and funny again, our perception yeah, of things it's a bit like people like coloured whiskey yeah they, they add a colour in yeah. because people want it to be that real gold even though sometimes it's paler um so looking for companies and, and uh boxes of tea that advertise plastic free or fair trade organic soil alliance effort all of those certifications are are good things. I get. I guess a bit like when we're looking at those coffee companies that that are you know sustainable and ethical and all of that. I guess it will be the same with tea. Is that they will be the more expensive teas? Yes. I mean, I've got a few companies down here actually that uh, companies that are committed to sustainable business model for tea production and manufacture, etc. And I've got to be honest, I hadn't heard of any of them. But there's there's a company called the Tea Spot, Arbor Teas, Rare Tea, and Ristry Tea. Those are companies that have got um, huge reputation for being sustainable in all the way back to the way they treat their workforce, yeah. the way it's produced, the land management, yeah, the pesticide management, the soil management, all of those things. There are companies out there that are really committed yeah. to it. However, you've got to go and find them. But sometimes, like a lot of these, it's the same with sustainable anything, whether it's chocolate or coffee. A lot of them are in supermarkets, but we're all in such a habit of we pick up yeah. what we well, have always and bought. The Yorkshire tea. And, and yeah. it will only take, I don't know, two minutes to Google Sainsbury's yeah. eco-friendly or Sainsbury's sustainable tea, and it will it, people will have a list. There's always yeah. a list. Um and sometimes the supermarkets are doing their own, aren't they? Yeah, and I will say, um, I know they're not always the cheapest, but Pucker, Pucker are very good. Oh, they, yeah, they Pucker teas are very famous, a actually. Bigger reputation for their herbal infusions, but they do other. They they're not do the ones that make pies as well, are they? No, um, <laughs> but they are organic, compostable, 
the wrap and the box are now recyclable and plastic free and the company is a certified b corp which means they're a member of the one percent of the companies who are trying to do good things yeah. for, the, for the planet bird and blend are the one that i yeah no bird and blend do tea as well oh, okay um you're thinking of oh i'm thinking of bird and wild bird and wild are the yeah. coffee bird and blend do loose leaf tea and they do I think they do tea bags as well. I've only ever bought the loose leaf stuff. They do the normal English breakfast ones. They also do quite fun mixtures. Like I said, I had a gingerbread chai tea, which wasn't chai. It was actually a rooboy ro- 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 tea. I think that's how you, I Googled how you say it. Um, <laughs> it's spelled R-O-O-B-O-I-S. I can't, I can't help you with that one, but it was quite funny watching you <laughs> try to spread it out. And that is a real tea. It does right. come from the plant. Um and that was incredible. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it honestly did taste like gingerbread. And it, it was lovely. Uh, they're really good. And there's a, there's a little bird and blend shop in Brighton, which is where I got mine from, which is cool. Um, I don't know whether you came across the Ethical Tea Partnership. No, I didn't do that one. It's just a partnership of, um, that works to try and make tea more sustainable. Yeah. And so I've got in Malawi... Uh, this partnership has helped farmers to purchase solar products and oh, fuel-efficient okay. cook stoves. Yeah. In Kenya, they've supported farmers to p- uh, purchase 27,000 fuel-efficient cook stoves, things yeah. like that. Um, from 2016 to 2020, uh, up to 300,000 trees were saved uh, each year through factory energy efficiencies, and close to half a million trees were planted. Uh, and they reckon around 20,000 tonnes of carbon emissions were avoided per yeah, year. Yeah, in fact, that does go on, because I did read that the country leading the way in sustainable tea production is actually Kenya. Yeah. Um, and it says here that nearly all of its tea production complies with the voluntary sustainability standards for Rainforest Alliance, but they're also training farmers um, in how to use sustainable methods. They're... Uh, they're doing more shade-grown yeah. plantations, um, and so they're like doing solar a lot, power. And yeah, all they're sorts. doing a lot of education of the farmers yeah. as well as as to how to get more. And sustainable. I will say, as far as like a website goes, again, we'll stick lots of notes, uh, yeah. lots of links in the show notes. But the Ethical Tea Partnership has a tab for each one, whether it's production, packaging, transportation, yeah. land use of of the things that they are doing and the things that can be done to try and make the whole process from the beginning, so not to the consumer. Uh, the actual production more sustainable and, and they are doing a lot yeah. so i mean another, again it, it this isn't one where we're going to shout out the rspb and wwf yeah. but the ethical tea partnership are a fantastic example of people out there trying to make yeah. something good and that's what i always like about doing these we, we as we've said many times we talk talk about the, the bad things happening and then you see it's it really isn't all doom and despair because it's not just individuals but it is you know whole countries there kenya leading the way in trying to uh, you know to promote sustainable methods and actually manage and and look after the environment that they're growing tea in so you know it's not it's not all big businesses just you know exploiting everything there are there is an awareness that is yeah. growing around we we do really do have to protect and- the planet yeah and i think it's one it's from both sides where obviously organizations and countries have government and uh things like eu and and un standards to meet but there's a bigger push again from the consumer side people are starting to care more and as we always say you can sort of vote with your it's always vote with your dollar even though we're we're english but you can vote with your money the more people are starting to 
buy it from ethical brands or at least voice the, the desire for more sustainable yeah. products. It pushes companies to realize, well, if we don't change, people will stop buying. And it leads them into the arms of people like the Ethical Tea Partnership who can then help them. And I know tea isn't a niche because it's a massive commodity, but it does seem like every little niche, whether it's tea or coffee or gardening or whatever it is, there are people out there trying to make it so that we can still enjoy these things, but in a better way, in a way that yeah. helps the planet. It doesn't. And again, it helps the local people as well. Yes. So it's all it all interplays very, very closely. There is, there is. I want to just do this little statistic. I'm not. I did read it on a on a reputable site, but. Dairy milk in tea. Oh, I saw this as well. Do you do you know how it started? No. It's again back in the seventeenth century or whatever it was when we started drinking a lot of tea in England. Then it tended to be the rich. They wanted to protect their valuable porcelain cups, and hot water often cracked the porcelain. So they started putting milk into their tea to cool the cup down and protect their... Oh, that's interesting. To protect their porcelain... So milk first, then. So, <laughs> so milk to cool the cup down. Yeah. And so it wasn't just complete boiling water going into the cup. That is how, apparently, milk started to be used okay, in, I... in, cu- in tea. But However, one cup a day using dairy milk, cutting out dairy milk is a, obviously we... Yeah, because I was going to say, I haven't noted down the number, but I read that, yeah, if you swap it out for like an oat milk... Yeah, your swap it out for an oat milk, because one drops. cup a day of using dairy milk, and we obviously know that dairy farming is not good for the climate. Yeah. Let's just leave it there for the minute, shall we? we we'll touch on that topic one day. Yeah. Um, it's equivalent annually to driving your car... <laughs> I don't know how they calculated this. Driving your car 585 miles. So that's one cup a day for a year of putting milk in your tea is the equivalent effect on the... Almost a 600-mile drive. Of a 600-mile drive. Again, I I should have noted down the stat, but we talk about really quick and simple environmental hacks or things you can do to reduce your footprint. Loose-leaf tea is one of them. Swapping from a dairy to a plant-based milk, I think it was almost half the carbon footprint of your... Yeah. So one day we'll Especially, talk about we'll talk about that subject. Yeah. One and day. actually, just on that, really quickly, because I know um, I, I I didn't start drinking tea until I'd already swapped to plant based stuff. So yeah. I've only ever had it with oat milk or soy milk. But I know that like my partner who had dairy milk in her tea for her whole life, and then swapped at the beginning. It was she didn't like it. She experimented with a few, and um, oat milk, my cuppa from from Outpro, is very good. Um, or soy milk is actually her preference. Uh, if she now goes back to dairy, she hates it. So well, it's funny because uh, your mum's exactly yeah, the same. So we, we swapped out onto oat milk, yeah. and it took me a little to get, while you, to get used to the oat milk. It's a feel. slightly different feel. And then, and I've never gone back to dairy for reasons why we'll talk about in another episode. Um, but your mum tried. I think she went out for tea with a friend. Yeah. And um, they didn't have oat milk, so she had a, a cup with normal dairy, and she said she really didn't yeah, like so it. it well, my point being that people often cringe when you say, "I'll oh, swap it out to a plant-based milk. But if you just give it a bit of time, yeah. you will end up, pre- well, a lot yeah, of people definitely. end up preferring it. So it, it is a very easy way to reduce your carbon footprint yeah. of your tea. So you do that with loose-leaf tea, so under yeah. your footprint, and make sure you're only boiling the amount of water you need yeah, for a cup of tea. Yeah, that's critical as well, because obviously, as I said yeah. earlier on, so uh, don't boiling fill your, your kettle... kettle 
um, you know, filling it right up to the top for one cup. Yeah, and you is, can get more energy efficient good. kettles. Yeah. If you can boil only the water you need, loose leaf tea and a plant-based milk, suddenly your carbon footprint for that one cup of tea is dropped or, quite or a Or drink iced tea, which I've never done. But no, I haven't. Iced tea, apparently, which I drink, uh, the Americans drink a It's like fruity, it. isn't it, iced tea? Yeah, Americans. I, I, think I, it I did have a stat tea. about that somewhere, that the Americans drink... Hang on, I'll see if I can find it. I didn't think it was real tea. I didn't know. No, it is. Oh, okay. Um, Americans consume 2.2 billion gallons of tea a year, but 80% of it is iced tea. Oh, interesting. I don't know how that is. I don't know what. I don't know how that is actually. Um, it's blasphemy, probably. That's what it probably. is. Probably. Yeah. But there we go. That's tea. As with all large-scale crop demands, there are some downsides to it. People are working quite hard to make it better, but there are still things that us as individuals can do to reduce our tea footprint. Yeah, and it's fascinating to find out just about your everyday things that you just do automatically. You make a cup of tea, you don't think about it. Make two or three a day. Yeah, and you don't think about the impact that that is having on the world. And And it's it's an interesting thing. And we're never here to, like, preach, but it it is fascinating to think of the daily habits and the downstream or the the upstream impacts it can have. um, I mean, if nothing else, I'm learning loads. Yeah, so um, am I. (laughs) And that's that's a good thing. But but there we go. That is that is tea. sustainability. <laughs> You've got it in the beginning and the I'm end. I'm really happy with that name. <laughs> Though I like it, mate. Yeah. And it's obviously going to be the title of the pod. Yeah, so obviously, <laughs> I have control over that side of yeah, the podcast. Yeah, you do. I know you do. Um, so yeah. So thanks, thanks for very listening. much for for uh, listening to our, <laughs> our our waffle about tea. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time. We'll do. Bye.